how basketball can save the world. Just a little tiny topic today on the True Podcast. We are joined by, ironically, a man who holds his high school's record for most technical fouls. And by you, <laughs> Professor Assistant Dean David Hollander. How are you, man? I'm good. I'm. Uh, I, I, I promise not to, uh, you know, cross the technical foul line with you guys. So. What were you doing? Yeah. I, you know, it was um, those who don't have the talent um, <laughs> must. No, <laughs> emotional leader. That's the way, the way I like to describe got it, myself. Got it. So were your technicals you... were about emotion. Got it. Not physical violence. You weren't committing physical violence against others on the court. I wouldn't say I wasn't doing that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 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 Mm-hmm. It, they were creative. It was a range. No, they just weren't verbal based. They were like, All right. All right. Yeah. do you have like a favorite one that you that that comes to mind? <laughs> <laughs> it, it's like choosing children but <laughs> but but you have a favorite because every parent has a favorite child no matter what they say <laughs> you know it, it's it's kind of like um there, there were a few like the kind of like no look chest pass to the face of the ref oh, um oh, or like, when like they, that at all i would play the top of the zone with my hands up and the, and the, you know how like this the center would post up on the foul line and i would just like inadvertently like smack him in the face yeah. and but what and, and at one time my the most look there were, i started a riot at the jefferson <laughs> christmas tournament but you know the, so the, what my my favorite and it's really disgusting um there the, the the other team was taking the ball out of bounds underneath the basket you know and the team kind of stacks mm-hmm. and everybody gets real close up and then somebody smacks the ball and they disperse and mm-hmm. um so I was guarding a guy who was much faster than me. I could not keep up. And so I timed the the slap of the ball of his his teammate who was inbounding with a doinking of his armpit hair. <laughs> and he was like, what oh the God. fuck? <laughs> you know, and I'm just like, what? What, what just happened? What's wrong with this guy? Yeah, it didn't. It didn't go well. That's a, that's a creative mm-hmm. and devious maneuver. Yeah, yeah, for sure. A... I've grown. I want you to know. <laughs> I've grown. <laughs> I remember Bill Russell like like gave this disquisition to a bunch of assembled journalists about how like the point of Doctor J like in that giant sweeping arm wasn't that he could do that; it was that he could think of that. Right? It was like yeah, like, yeah. Like, like um, that's what I think. Why don't you tell me that story? You well, were thank like, you, Doctor yeah. J, the armpit doink. <laughs> I'm glad you've elevated it. <laughs> well, in, in, in its in its rawest form, right? Like five on five basketball is Darwinian, right? It's survival of the fittest. And in the sense that you realize, all right, there are these other things on the sport that are better than me, and I am not going to survive. I have to think my way out of this so I can stay here. Well, that's it. And in an instant, you know, and Russell said, he was the one who said, you know, in, in, in the time it takes you to write this semicolon, like that's how fast you have to think on a basketball court. Yeah. And I, you know, in, in that moment, that's what I tried to do. <laughs> Maybe not Rus- Russell level thinking, but. Uh, <laughs> you no, no. literally wrote a book about how basketball is going <laughs> to inspire global peace. Yeah. <laughs> while, you, while, while you yanked out armpit hair as a youth basketball player, yeah, that's all. I'm not liking how this is going. <laughs> Quite the I want to tell you, mm-hmm. I shouldn't have shared. I shouldn't. Have no, shared. I just, yeah, not to. You know, you were a different person then, right? You were how old? Seventeen. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. maybe the same person. Just <laughs> testosterone all over the place, right? Like you can't. Like this is not. A book writer. Yeah, this is how you learn what not to do is then you write a book on what to do by having, you know, tread in the wrong path. Right, right, right. Okay, so um, I I have not read all of your book, but I spent the last three hours like kind of marinating in the digital version of it. And um, uh, my first thought is it's super brilliant. My second thought is it's super inspiring. My third thought is you've read everything that one could read about basketball. Uh, there's there's nothing left. I think you have cited everything I'm aware of that's been written about the sport. Basically, <laughs> we're close, right? Well, I, I, you know, like I, I humbly, uh, there's still so much I have to read and uh, so much good coming. Um, but I tried to, um, you know, if I'm going to write a book about basketball, uh, I, I better stand on some uh, foundation. Uh, of, 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 you know, ample, comprehensive, uh, at least in the basketball area. Yeah. Um, but I tried to work in other stuff too. 
Lots of like Sirt Zoe on Draymond Green. Mm-hmm. Got a lot of love. That's uh, that's that's appropriate. Yeah. That's- <laughs> <laughs> Draymond, someone who processes fast and commits lots of technical fouls. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's your guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they, do you think um, you could read this little chunk of the introduction that might set us up for fascinating conversation to follow? I'd be happy to. Um, so this is a, this is a uh, uh, excerpted from uh, the introduction to the book. Um, I'll read it now. We live in a world of intense division from the derisive social critiques of Gen Z millennials to taunts of okay, boomer, the generation share little but mutual contempt, blame, and condescension. The me too movement powerfully exposes the brokenness in gender relations. And what of racism and othering? What of hate? What of the vulnerability and unchecked persecution of stateless ethnic groups, Kurds, Rohingya, Yazidis, Uyghurs? What of homophobia, Islamophobia, xenophobia, transphobia, and the resurgence of overt, normalized global anti-Semitism? These conditions result from old, prevailing isms, recycled century after century. All of it is systemic. Young people in particular sense this. Gia Tolentino in her essay collection, Trick Mirror, writes that her generation suffers from an inescapable ethical brokenness, which she describes as a millennial's Hobson's choice. She says, I quote, I have felt so many times that the choice of this era is to be destroyed or to morally compromise ourselves in order to be functional, to be wrecked, or to be functional for reasons that contribute to the wreck. It's a powerlessness that makes us complicit. Dang. I mean, Gia Tolentino is quite brilliant, and that was... mm, mm. So that's the problem. Sounds pretty bad. Um, (laughs) 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 On on a a bad scale? Yeah, pretty bad. Okay, but now let's start talking solutions, right? You've been teaching a class on this. Like, let's talk me through. How does basketball address this? Yeah, well, that was the so that was the premise. Uh, the, the, the 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 course was really a response uh, to yeah, what I felt like was a world that was breaking down. Uh, um, uh, this was before uh, the pandemic exposed uh, you know just just widespread national and global institutional failures, um, the inability to do anything to solve anything, and. So I thought about um, that deeply, and I thought about, well, what is the thing that has always made me feel a a balance, a peace, um, a sanctuary, uh, 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 a kind of humanity that I felt was so hard to find? in so many realms of society. And I asked myself, how could this thing, basketball, it gives me that, that, that sense of right relations with others. Um, how could I translate that into a language that is, has been as of yet unspoken uh, into an institution uh, that uh, as of yet has not really been codified uh, beyond the game? Um, and so I'm a professor and I started doing research and built a syllabus and this course is, um, 13 principles, a philosophy of basketball, uh, what I believe the game was intended to be and what the world has told us it is, uh, as a 13 principles as a value system to solve acute 21st century problems. Um, I love this. I didn't know who Natalie Diaz was. Um, <laughs> right? It's like my favorite thing. Pulitzer Prize winning poet, MacArthur fellow who played against Snoop Holtzclaw in the NCAA Final Four. <laughs> like, that was so cool. I think she was in two Final Fours. Two Final um, She fours. was in that great, with those great old Dominion teams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, amazing, right? And this uh, quote is my favorite. I could be on a court with any four other players, like in a pickup game, and I could not know them, but suddenly I have to find ways of knowing them. Well, this is what happens. 
Um, this is the and and you know one of the first things I say when students come to the course is, listen, this is not we're not this is not a course on the NBA. This is a course on the game. And that what Natalie Diaz says is, is the most remarkable uh, human experience, hard to find, where you enter a space with other people you've never met before and may never meet again. And in that space, you begin to rapidly, immediately, continuously think about them, them think about you. You join. Uh, in a way that uh, I've found, and so many other people have found, like Natalie, uh, like the two of you, I'm sure, that this thing kind of, it, it, it's deep. It extends beyond that court experience. It, it establishes an understanding of each other that's quite remarkable. It's an empathy lab. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have not found other human activities uh, that do this that often, that well. And it surprises me not that this thing, basketball, in the 130 years since it was created, while nations have formed and deformed, trends have come and gone, people have have passed on, uh, 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 you know, corporations have come and gone, this thing continues to grow in ubiquity and influence there's something there uh and 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 that's what excites me in this book empathy lab i like that a lot yeah that's cool um and then i mean when i first heard of your course like for some reason i one of the first things that thought about was the body keeps the score and then it turns out like the author of that incredible book, uh, Dr. Bessel Vanderkolk, has come and spoken to your class. Like, how does this? So this he's like a he's a, a pioneer of treating PTSD, right? I'm like, what's he doing in your basketball? Like, talk me through this. Like, I love that you seized on that. Um, <laughs> so last year, uh, this is last he he came to class last year, and um, as you say, Bessel Vanderkolk has uh, redefined our understanding of of trauma. Um, and uh, his book, I think, is like 315 weeks straight now on the bestseller list. Which I, mean, I would like to understand better. Like, it's like a, that book has got hooks into people. Like, yeah. But. Well, it, there, there's a reason for it because he, 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 he's shown us that it's more common than not that people are suffering from some type of uh, post-traumatic stress disorder um, and it closes us off uh, uh, from the world. And, and, and so... Everyone wants to talk to Bessel, and I call Bessel, and I know that he doesn't get out of bed for less than fifty thousand dollars. You know, I and, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I said, I said Henry Abbott and you. Yeah, you know, and I said, yeah. so I'm calling you first. Yeah. Uh, so, and I said, you know, I'm calling you, and he said, listen, you know that I don't get out of bed for less than fifty thousand dollars. I know. He said, but what you're doing is so weird, and and so, but it's not weird to him. Because in his book, he talks about, well, what are the things that can help a person with post-traumatic stress disorder who's walking around in the world in, in, a, in, a, in a state of searing isolation because they're unable to connect with other people because they're seeing most of the world through a lens of threat. Because even though the trauma may have happened, the traumatic event may have happened in the past, they're walking around experiencing it as it's happening right now. Mm-hmm. What a horrible way to be. What a difficult way to uh, uh, walk through the world. What, how hard it is to engage. He says the way to uh, help them, to, to process, help them process that and help them connect with others is through group rhythmic activities, mm-hmm. like a group sing, like a drum circle. And he explicitly says basketball. Mm-hmm. Because it's an intimate space where you're forced to see other people. And you're immediately like, okay, what about them? What about me? How do I, I now belong. I'm with these people. They're with me. And you're moving your body uh, uh, in a way that allows you to finally kind of be in the present moment with others in a cooperative way. Um, and you're no longer alone. 
you're connected. Um, wow. I mean, like to know that basketball and, and look, he's not, uh, the only one, the peace players international has come to understand how that intimate space, the positionlessness, uh, that, that, that allows you to kind of like relate to others, uh, in all kinds of different ways, immediately, continuously, fluidly, it makes us feel what I think we're supposed to feel, which is some type of basic connection to each other, mm -hmm. um, that we want to go somewhere good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, when I read that book, there was a suicide at our local high school and, um, you know, they had all sorts of, they actually handled it very well. Um, uh, in just the response there were like, all, they really ramped up the therapists and they had therapy dogs and they had like anyone, they made a whole kind of room. Anyone could swing by what they wanted and talk to anyone. And, um, and the, um, the victim of the suicide was involved in musical theater. And at the time they were putting on a musical, they had rehearsals had just begun. And my daughter was in the musical. I'm like, and it was like, how are you going to recover from this terrible thing? Right. And, but they rehearsed singing and dancing together rhythmically yeah. every day. And I was reading that part of the book and I'm like, Oh my God, this is like, like the best therapy you could possibly have. And like, I don't, maybe I was projecting, but I felt like you could see it working, right? You'd be like, oh, go and sing and dance with your friends and like move together. And, yeah. and there's, a, a, I'm, I'm going to put on my neuroscience hat for a second, which it doesn't fit very well. I'm not a neuroscientist, <laughs> but like what I kind of interpreted from the book was like, we think of our mental health and our, like the hormones circulating in our bodies emanating from the brain and then going out through our body, but it also goes the other way, right? Mm -hmm. Like your muscles send signals back to your brain and make you feel certain ways. And obviously basketball and dance can inform what that conversation is like. Yeah. It's all one thing. Um, it, 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 it's really great that you, 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 you had that, uh, that experience and your daughter, uh, you know, engaged with, uh, you yeah, know, that's why they, they, they little kids, uh, in like grade school, they start with a community sing. Mm -hmm. It's actually really brilliant. Mm -hmm. um, it brings the community together. It puts them on the same page. Mm -hmm. um, I'm an advocate for the more of that, not the less of that. Mm -hmm. Like the oh, more of us in the same room, more of us like seeing each other, uh, um, mirror neurons, this whole thing, uh, uh, where, where we, in very subtle ways, um, are synchronously kind of communicating. Um, and it builds trust belief, uh, connection. There's this Sue Bird quote that you have. It's fascinating when I think of myself on the court in that way, backpedaling my way out, sprinting over here, coming over there. There's definitely a spatial negotiation constantly happening. And it's yeah. always for the betterment of the team. Same thing when I'm out yeah. in public, I know exactly how far you need to be. And I know exactly where I'm going. Um, it's such a, a big deal. Um, it sounds simple. Right, she's on a basketball court, kind of thinking about her spatial relationships. And all the coaching books talk about spacing. Um, well, that's kind of a, a fundamental principle of being a human being on Earth. We are sharing space with others. How do we do that? Some How of do us do it better than others. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna bring you guys like in a room and we're gonna just pass the ball back and forth. Um, but that that's what Sue Bird says. There was a remarkable and a, a remarkable article written in March 2020 at the height of the pandemic in the New York Times by the dance columnist. Uh, Gia Corliss, who I'm trying to get in class this year. And she wrote about kind of the choreography of being with others in a time of social distance, mm -hmm. right? We, they were like, hey, you got to kind of learn to navigate around bodies now. How do we do that? Basketball players know how to mm -hmm. do that. I know how to do that. I live in a dense city. I live in New York City. And I walk around a lot with, 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 with some level of frustration mm -hmm. 
because I'm like, don't you know, like how we give and take here? Don't you know how we pick and roll? Don't you know how we kind of like give each other the ability to move through the subway, through the stairs? You know, don't stop in the middle of the flow here on the sidewalk. What are you doing? No, no, no I got David, a whole book in my head of just you. You walk we eight abreast on a sidewalk in New York City. That's what you do with your friends. Eight abreast. Yeah. That's what you do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fill out of the hotel lobby. <laughs> yeah. And just eat the whole sidewalk. Yeah, just or to me, there. the number one rule is no moving backwards. <laughs> the foul's on the dude who just moved backwards. Like, like you need to look where you're going. Otherwise, the whole ocean just doesn't. The fish can't hey, swim here. You know, yeah, like yeah. <laughs> look and no, nobody notes Sue Bird. With you know, that's a quote. For, she said this in our class because I started asking her. I said, you know, think about it for a minute. Like how you move, yeah. and your your ability. You you now have an awareness in the world just as you mm-hmm. walk through a mall, as you walk. through and that's, that's what she said, you know, and it's a basketball thing mm-hmm. to, to understand how to, um, what, what Martin Luther King Day was yesterday. It's the inescapable mutuality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the idea. We, it's we, like, we are connected. And it's <laughs> instant, right? Like it's, you're kind of used to seeing, I guess maybe like driving a car, there's like a lot of things moving and you have to kind of. Navigate or um, I grew up skiing like on the ski slope. There's like a moment where just like the two trails merge. There's just like there's atoms coming from everywhere and you have to like exist. Right. Um, but basketball is like a crash course in that. Right. It's just more. It's uh, it's closer. It's. Um, well, that's why I, I say, how do we, you know, I'm, I'm looking for new answers. The, the quote you you had me read is like, uh, oh, you know. We keep doing this rinse and repeat. I believe mm-hmm. of, and, and progressively getting to more kind of confused and conflicted uh, uh, times. Look at where we are now, um, with all kinds of difficulties between people not listening to each other, nations kind of not getting along, and 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 well, what is the training to be a human being in the twenty first century? Well, how do we how do we get out of this? Figure out how to be with each other. Um, what, what, what is the, 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 you know, I look at yoga and I like yoga. Um, yoga is, uh, uh, the, the, the goal of yoga is alignment, mind, body, and soul. How do you do that? Well, you go in and you do the ritual physical exercises, you do the poses and that gets you aligned. And then you emerge from doing those poses into the world. Uh, a more peaceful, harmonious, cooperative—you know—you uh, uh, know—high-minded person. Good. I feel it's the same thing with basketball. You do that exercise. You, 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 you. You know, basketball is not <laughs> how we save the world. It's the elements. It's the ritual exercise. It's the practice of basketball that stands for a way of being. Mm-hmm. That's how basketball saves the world. It's just a little tug on the armpit hair of humanity. <laughs> <laughs> Never gonna let it go, are you? <laughs> just, no, that was the last one. I just I wanted to put one more. He just can't stop thinking about call it. Back. Yeah, I was like, I'm gonna say it at some point for sure, and I decided that was the moment. Um, uh, okay, Wish, wishing he had done it. There's a. Like, I feel like a stupid thing in my life is that I never knew anything about what Doctor Naismith wanted but you actually read his book which was a great idea and you it says like nice like a, a lot of what basketball does was intentional from him i was blown away so Right. I'm no, I'm no Naismith historian. Uh, I'm not hanging out at Springfield College or Kansas, or, you know, looking through the, but had to do it. You know, I had to go really understand uh, uh, what he really meant and why Naismith all along thought of basketball as a social institution as much as an athletic institution. He saw it as a way to make better people. Um, And remarkably, and again, it it just kept, it was like a gift that kept on giving as I researched Naismith more. He came up with this idea in the midst of an historical epic 
like the one we're in now, the Gilded Age. He stood in Springfield, Massachusetts, uh, in a U.S. that was experiencing the greatest wealth inequality at, ever at that time, the greatest uh, mass immigration of new Americans from all different parts of the world, China, Southern Europe, Eastern Europe, um, corrupt uh, political institutions. Um, the global trauma, first, where he was standing, the America just kind of getting out of the uh, hundreds of thousands of civil war, um, uh, the plundering of Native America, Tsarist uh, uh, Russia, uh, which had, you know, kind of pillaged across uh, uh, its 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 country. Um, uh, China had just kind of emerged from the Boxer Rebellion, which was a bloody intense national civil war um uh south africa had just come out of the 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 zulu wars i mean this is like this was the world and 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 the world was a tinderbox like it is now just kind of heading towards this mass mechanized global conflagration world war one um this is what the man came up with oh and it was it was also the tech boom like now, mm-hmm. all these kind of like uh, 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 industrialists with new technology saying this will this will lead to a greater democracy. This will lead to greater equality. This will lead to greater participation for all of us. Except did, except it led to uh, uh, control, mm-hmm. monopolies. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's in, it's to, to me like beyond remarkable uh, how similar how mirror image those times are to now and so he stays up all night making these rules he posts them on the wall they come in to play the first time and then i'm gonna read here they ended up in a free-for-all in the middle of the gym floor before i could pull them apart one boy was knocked out several of them had black eyes one had a dislocated shoulder it certainly was murder Um, right. It wasn't like all like kumbaya. Um, he, you know, he was dealing with a, a, a world, um, that knew not much else, especially athletically and force and speed, uh, and tackling. Uh, I mean, this was the great innovation. Um, no running with the ball. It's like, uh, um, I once interviewed John Riggins years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, and it was upon the heels of me just like by chance meeting him on the street <laughs> and on the Upper West Side. I was like, yo, John Riggins. And he was like, he thought I was crazy. And he started running from me. Um, <laughs> so you chased them. Yeah. And I remind him of that. And I was like, yeah, do you know that that was, it? he was like, he was like, well, I was always taught food runs <laughs> and it's like a basic thing. You know, like food runs. Wow. <laughs> I was like, "How do you? What does that wow. mean, man?" And <laughs> but if you run with the ball, it's this idea: I got to chase you and stop you. He he pulled apart this idea uh, of a team athletic kind of endeavor where the strongest people always win. It was like, okay, all kinds of things are going to go on here. I'm going to elevate the goal. It's going to force you to get under control. It's going to force you to to have this very different kind of uh, relationship and balance. It's one of the principles in the book, balance between force and skill, mm-hmm. um, which is still difficult for people to grasp. It's a It's an enlightened, I think, human resource perspective there's all kinds of people with all kinds of talents there's a spectrum of humanity we should begin getting off that archetype of only the strongest the most charismatic um uh you know the fastest uh there is a whole range of people and skills and abilities and contributions to the human endeavor. Um, and I believe basketball stood for that. Uh, I believe he ingeniously um, insisted on that, um, which opens up a whole world 
of human relationships, of opportunities. Um, I love that he uh, was like, no, no, don't kill each other. How about this? <laughs> and guess what? They loved it. Once they got that, once they were like, oh, they couldn't stop playing. It gets more fun that way. Yeah. Right. Okay, we're going to take a little break, and then we're going to talk about Dream on Green. I almost forgot the break, Gerard. Uh, the, I, I was so impressed that you went to break there. I was like, wow. I know. Henry going to That's break. Possibly the most impressive thing I've done in a, in a long time. <laughs> it was a perfect setup to forget the break. Okay. <laughs> that was pro style. Yeah. I know, right? I know. And I teased the Draymond Green thing. Let's not get used to that. This is not coming back from like a. <laughs> is there like a Frosted Flakes commercial running right now? Or like, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what's happening. Yep. yep. You know, it's. Uh, it's 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 us shamefully hawking DraftKings is really what's happening right now. Disclaimer <laughs> in the show notes, please. If you're gambling problem, yeah. you know, read the yeah. show notes. Yeah. Just, that's cool. That's what's happening. Um, okay. I'll come back now. Oh, then, oh my God, when you were gone, I was like, um, we had Brittany Brown, guest producer. Yep, yep. I was like, Brittany, do you want me to count back in from the break? That's up to her. I don't, you know, I don't yeah, care. Yeah. And David like goes to the mattresses. He's like, Gerard does not count down after the break. <laughs> it's fine. It's, it's, David, David, David's side. my guy. David's my guy. He, he, you know, as much as he is a coach and a leader, he's also a very good soldier and follower. Ferocious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ferocious. All right. Coming down. <laughs> Three, two, one. All right, David, you, uh, in your book, you talk about Draymond Green, which is, of course, a must. Um, and, <laughs> You describe his role. Actually, let's start with the part where he talks about how no one knows basketball, but he does. Um, mm -hmm. Most people, he tells Sirit Zoe, will never learn the game of basketball. They think they know, but don't have a clue. It is what it is. I enjoy being one of the not so many people that actually know the game, as opposed to watching and thinking they can dissect it because they realize who hit a shot. It's fine. Um, and then he goes on. Then you write, in a healthy society... A society that prioritizes appropriate goal-achieving balance between the individual and collective, a basketballistic society, what Draymond does is valued at a premium equal to what Steph, Clay, and KD do. Yeah. Um, th thank you for focusing on that. Um, I, I, I call it the Draymond Green model um, for, as I explained this principle, uh, one of the principles of basketball, which is uh, a balance between the individual balance of individual and collective. Now I don't claim they need to be an equal balance. Um, I claim there's, there's gotta be a right balance an appropriate balance. And more than that, that balance itself is a good thing. That balance itself is, is righteous and, and, and a value, um, worth having. And I look at Draymond Green and I hold him up as this person who in the basketball collective, well, his stats are never even like the, the, the same. Um, you, you, it's hard to kind of understand all that he does, except that he allows the Curry, the Durant, the 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 clay thompson to do what they do and i say that take away draymond you don't have what golden state has those championships why why is that because when i watch draymond green i see him do things that are almost un unquantifiable unmeasurable unknowable um <laughs> i won't Go to like armpit hair doinking. That's not what he's doing. <laughs> That's enough of that. All right, let's All right, settle sorry, down with armpit hair. <laughs> um, but he he's he's constantly doing little subtle things, whether it's a tip ball, uh, uh, a tip to a tip ball, a boxing out of another person so his teammate can get the rebound, uh, a hand in the annoying hand in the face of a shooter that seems like nothing. It seems like he's, he's, he's just playing defense, but it's just a little more than that. 
he's he's giving just a little more space to to Steph to shoot. He's he's what I'm saying is he's playing the whole game of basketball as a teammate. And I believe we have to start so so going off of that principle. I believe that it stands for a world where well, we're not just always talking about the most hits or the most likes or the, the, the wealthiest person or the most famous person. We are seeing worth and dignity in all of us who get up in the morning and knit together this world. Whether it's we we're raising families, or we're, we're 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 trying to go to school, or we're working next to each other, I say value everyone in the chain. I know Golden State values Draymond Green. I know that organization values Draymond Green. I know now he's he's perhaps you know edging out age wise skills that happens you know as a, as a player, but in the perfect mix of who Golden State must be, they know Draymond Green is equal in value to Steph Curry, MVP, you know, uh, a superstar, glitter. And I, 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 I want us to start getting to a place because when you get to a place that values the Draymond Green, I also talk about Nick Collison, um, who's the only Jersey retired in Oklahoma City, who averaged like five points, five rebounds, you know, uh, uh, over his career. But they valued so much more that he brought. It wasn't even longevity. It was the 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 contribution that allowed them to succeed because he created balance, insisted on balance, gave himself up for the cause of balance. Um, this is not communism versus capitalism. I'm, 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 I'm weary of, of these terms. I'm just talking about basketballism. I'm talking about like Steph knows what Draymond does. Clay knows what Draymond does. And I want the rest of us to kind of know what each other like is bringing here and not to, to say, oh, all that matters is our GDP. Uh, an economy is not a society. Um, a society is where we care about everyone in the chain. I love I that. That's a beautiful. It's just fun to hear you talk. Um, I, on some level, it's like, how does this machine work? How does this game actually work? Right. If we, yeah. If, if, you know, I think that we want, maybe we, like, uh, you can see in all-star voting trends are like, we want it to be the case that like the John Morant dunk is how the game works. And it's definitely a part of how it works. Right. Um, but the fact is like reading the game, reading the machine, living inside the machine and understanding how the machine works. Like Draymond is elite, 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 elite at that. Maybe better than yeah. Steph. Right. And like, yeah. I know that they would, um, David Thorpe had a client who was on the Warriors and he would report that they would come in at halftime and for all of their coaching staff, they would say like, Draymond, what are they doing? Because he had taken it in and his microprocessor was better, right? Like he had right. better recognized how it actually worked, which even like the first time I ever was ever aware of him was I, uh, by dumb luck, got to be the one reporter who went to the rookie transitions program um, the year that he was drafted. So this is like three or four days in some like suburban New Jersey, like conference center where they're doing like, it's not exactly trust falls, but it's that kind of team building. And they're telling about nutrition and whatever. And, um, and there's a fair amount of time standing around the hallways. And uh, I asked, I think it was like Rory Sparrow or some, like one of the like PA employees, former player who was putting on the thing. They said, like, who's, who's, who's doing the best in there? Right. Like who's, who's killing it in these sessions. And um, he's like, well, it's kind of sad because I don't think he's going to make the league, but you know, this, this kid dream on green's really good. <laughs> you know, he's just great. He's like the MVP of the rookie transitions program. And uh, well, luckily he did make the league. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, you know, I mean, yeah. And now you, I, and I, 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 I give great credit to um, um, uh, the, 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 the writer from Yahoo. Um, Sirius. 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 Yeah. Yeah. who 
does this tremendous analysis and says, now look at all the teams in the NBA are trying to have some Draymond replicant. Um, and it's, it, it's simply this, and it's hard to kind of see that in other sports. It's hard to see that in other walks mm, of life. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I, 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 I kind of like draw this uh, comparison in the book between open democracy which is kind of like no more elections. Let's just uh, like jury duty dra- draft uh, mm-hmm. a random mix of citizens to uh, govern um, because they look more like us mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. the, you know, what, it, what is currently the Senate, which is kind of like a lot of Steph Curry's. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all. I wish there were like, a lot of Steph Curry. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, eh, eh, they 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 believe. Yeah. They, yeah. Uh, but you know, it's like they're all wealthy. Uh, yeah. They're all just kind of you know connected or, stars. Yeah. yeah, yeah stars. Connected. Yeah. yeah, the stars. And that's not democracy. Uh, that's not a basketballistic society. Um, we go play pickup, and yeah, there's the there maybe two or three people on the team who are really good. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're going to carry us. But somebody else got to do all the stuff, mm-hmm. like, and that's the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to talk about uh, fantasy football, you know, and I I ask my students, I say, uh, well, how many points do linemen get uh, in fantasy football? And I guess they don't. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but they're essential. <laughs> you no, know, no touchdown with that lineman. Like <laughs> we, we've got to stop this idea of of only certain people matter, only certain mm-hmm. people get the love, the glory. Um, and I think that's what gets us to where we're hoping to go as a 21st century world. Um, yeah. well, David, I, I love your connection between a basketballistic society and the, how you use GDP is not a measure of what a society is, right? But that's what we hear, right? When we when we turn on any television news program or whatever, and it's the pandemic war or whatever, what is the second thing that is said? Economy, blah, 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 stock prices. It's like, well, what does that have to do with like my neighbor? Like, what? I, I don't see the correlation and the basketball connection there, right? You mentioned Draymond Green. Well, it's hard for the average citizen to understand the importance of Draymond Green when the most important person on television about basketball, Charles Barkley says, Raymond has triple singles. Ha 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 ha. He sucks. Like, and laughs about it, right? It's like, well, if Charles is telling me that, it must be true, right? Just like if the GDP matters, to, that must be true. Right. The you, you bring up a really sharp point, and and I, I I phrase it in the form of a question. And it's the 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 question is: what's the point? Toward what end are we heading and why? If you have a campaign platform, you have a policy, uh, and you want to list out, like, these are the tenets of my policy. Okay. Toward what end? What's the point? I start my talks a lot with these 13 principles. And I say, hey, everybody, hold on a second. Before we get into this, I want you to look at these 13 principles and pretend we're not going to talk about basketball. And I just want you to tell me. Do you like if 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 those principles were a new constitution, a new country, a new religion, uh, a, a new corporate manual? Um, would you like it? Would it work for you? Would you think this could like kind of get us? Th- these are the things that are important to us. Because like, if the point is to I don't know create a runway for as many individuals as we can to get as uh, extraordinarily wealthy as we can. And again, I'm not a communist. I'm not a socialist. I'm not capitalist. I don't care about these things. What I'm asking now is we keep getting to this place. It takes us uh, another 50 years, every 50 years, we keep getting to this place where we're like, oh, why is everybody fighting? Why is there wealth inequality? Why is there such like, you know, hate and, 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 and inability to communicate with each other? Why is there no settling on truth why is the climate like going haywire before our very eyes and i ask well what are our policies based on why are you why are you upset at that person what's that based on what are we heading toward 
And I just go back to this simple game where this guy, this very particular guy, Naismith, uh, with very particular lived experience. He was a, a, an immigrant. I mean, certainly Anglo, right? So, but he did come from somewhere else. So perhaps he had what I call kind of an inside outside perspective on newcomers and, and, and those who are not like him or, or those who are not like the others. He was traumatized by the loss of his parents. He had been orphaned by the loss of his parents at a very young age. He went to, def- he's, 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 he's like this intellectual searcher. He's trying to find like, what would be the, a, a way to make the world a better place? He goes to divinity school and decides, you know what? I think it'd be better to be a gym teacher <laughs> than to take the pulpit because I think that's really the mind-body thing. He was doing Bessel van der Kolk before Bessel van der Kolk. You look at this game and you enter this game, you play this game, you see how it continues to kind of pop up in conversations of, of race and conversations of immigration. Uh, you know, to me, Toronto is one of the best stories uh, going. Um, and you say, well, why? You know, why is basketball always at the center of this this thing? Why are kids playing basketball almost everywhere? Why are they starting a bas- new basketball league over there? I know why. <laughs> We need it. Yeah. It's like it's like water, man. I mean, we it's like we're not getting enough of that kind of experience, that kind of human experience. Uh, I don't know where I. I, I no, no, I no. Think no. I just keep going. Just keep going. You're actually don't stop running. Yeah, you're actually in the right spot because because the globalization is where we wanted to go next, and this is the natural segue. You just, you just mentioned it. So one of the pieces that re- of the of your book, which is fascinating, and I haven't finished it, but like just the piece that like jumped out to me, your principal make it global, okay. And Dan Clores, who people who listen to this podcast probably have heard of, um, makes incredible uh, films. Um, so you should just you know check them out. Anyway, get this great quote: "You can go anywhere in the world, and there's really only a few things we all share. You can talk about food, talk about God, music, sex, or love, and you can talk about basketball. Basketball is a global common denominator." And you hear that and you think, all right, but I know basket, like, cause you, right. Cause what you do then is not make it global, right? You think about, well, I'm American. Basketball is not that popular here. Like football is more popular or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Then you go back and you look in, and you look at the numbers, right? Yes. Cricket and soccer. Sure, sure, sure. But if you look at how it's growing and who is picking up the sport in Canada, a nation where hockey is by far, right? That is the sport that they, that they play in Canada. You know what sport more youth are playing in Canada than ice hockey? Basketball, right? And that, I think, is is of what you're saying. And this is so fascinating to me, David, because the global piece, I think, while it's the key, it's also, to Henry's point, what you wrote at the top of, of our show notes, I can also write a book about how basketball will destroy the world. That, well, that would be, I would probably be <laughs> the writer of choice for that book, and it's ironic. That but the global <laughs> part, right? It, I think with the global piece, you're on, you're on the edge of that sword, right? This is the other side of it because here is this game that is, in many people's mind, uniquely American, right? If you yeah. take the best 25 players ever, I'm going to argue 22 of them are probably American and probably black American, right? But if I were to ask you, who's the best player in basketball today? You might say Nikola Jokic, right? Or Giannis Antetokounmpo. They're not American. So now we have this problem, right? Where it's like, but wait, this is my game. But now these other people are the better ones in it. Well, I don't like this thing anymore now. Yeah. So it's a, it's, there's a bunch, there's a lot there. Um, uh, So you're right. Uh, It's been interesting, right? I think 40% of the last 20 years of MVPs in Mm -hmm. in the, are, are, if you include Tim Duncan, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, from the Virgin Virgin Islands, Mm -hmm. um, not from the United States. Um, such uh, Jokic, uh, Nash, Mm -hmm. uh, Nowitzki, Giannis. Mm -hmm. uh, Giannis. So, wow. Very interesting. But what I uh, like to do is, okay, take it out of the, um, yeah, it's true, um, uh, the greatest imprint on elite basketball in the world is, uh, is the African-American experience. Um, come on. I mean, let's not even, <laughs> I mean, that's, you know. That's um, a fact. That is a fact. Um, 
but that's at the highest levels. Mm-hmm. That's elite basketball. What I'm talking about is uh, a game that has become a global social institution because of its no or extremely low barrier to access. You will find a hoop put up on a barn and then you know out in the plains, um, any country, anywhere. It's 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 a it's a very simple uh, uh, measurement in geometry small space he meant it that way and because it's so easy to access and easy to play and you can play it by yourself no other sport can do that Uh, or it's hard Mm -hmm. (laughs) i'll just say that you kick a soccer ball and then you gotta go chase it um you have this game that from its inception naismith like within as soon as he could within like three years of its creation, sent people to go teach the game uh, in four continents, Mm -hmm. Brazil, China, Mm -hmm. Australia, France. Mm -hmm. So four countries. Mm -hmm. Um, There's still more people that have played the game in China than have ever played it in the United States. Mm -hmm. Who does this game belong to exactly? You know, Everyone. Mao came and, and, and when he kicked out all uh, bourgeoisie, you know, Western things from China, he kept one thing, basketball. And as that nation existed in isolation, the most populous nation in the world exists in isolation for decades, until they saw the NBA, you know, after China had opened up, they thought the game was theirs. <laughs> they weren't like, you know, who, who, who's this game belong to? You know, who, where's this game come from? They thought it was there. There's no higher engagement in the world with the game of basketball than in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you could, you know, there's, I could go on and on different countries and, yeah. and how they lay claim to the game. Um, the point is, is that I measured the influence of this game. And, and I'll talk about the, the, the newcomer thing in Canada because it's, it's a... a mm-hmm. Uh, a, a, another side I measure the game like what's the most what's the most like po- popular game in the world I measure it in two two terms ubiquity and influence are you everywhere and how much influence um, probably more people play cricket but it just doesn't have the ubiquity of basketball mm-hmm. soccer is the most popular sport in the world more people play it more people consume it more people watch it um, and all that but I don't think it has the influence of basketball. Nowhere near. And I'll just, uh, you know, obviously basketball sells more shoes <laughs> than anything. It's re, re it, it redefined the shoe industry. My God, it's a, it's a, it's now a, a a stock act. It's a it's a you know commodity. It's a tradable thing. Yes. that's incredible. And that that's all Jordan. Um, that's all Jordan. Um, but you look at. Paris Saint Germain, mm-hmm. right? And like, yeah, the Jordan brand. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a basketball player on their jersey. And you yes, look at like, know that. Wow. Yeah, you know, on their kit. Yeah, that's their on their Jordan ki- brand sponsor. In order to get more relevance mm-hmm. and to be cooler, <laughs> I need um, I need the Jumpman logo. <laughs> yeah, I need a basketball player. Thing. I don't see basketball teams put a soccer player or like a you know uh, any other sport. Right. Like the mm. Big Ten, you saw like you know you saw like the uh, Michigan, Ohio State. Mm-hmm. That's Jumpman logo. Mm-hmm. You see all that. So it is. I, I I'll argue with anyone that the the Dan Clores is correct. By the way, Dan Clores is uh, is a is a great friend and was a great mentor in the very early stages of this. I came to Dan Clores, and I knew he was in the middle of creating a basketball can uh, a basketball love story, so it's a twenty hour epic. <laughs> Um, and a year, as you mentioned, he had already won the Peabody Award for Black Magic. He created one of the original Third for Thirties, the Reggie Miller Winning Time. I mean, it, it, second Boys of Second Street Park is still to me one of the, the heaviest, most beautiful basketball meditations. And Dan was really instrumental in helping me elevate and and you know believe you know that I was you know we. we he he understood immediately what I was talking about, which mm-hmm. is a, a great thing. Um, 
but Toronto. What's the number one sport in Canada? Of course, people answer hockey, but it's not. It's, well, among new Canadians, young Canadians, and people from other parts of the world, basketball. And it's this remarkable story because Naismith intended it to help new Americans kind of have access to something. They didn't have access to fields. It gave them a, a, a place to demonstrate their belonging. I'm talking about mostly Eastern European Jews and Southern European Catholics who created like parallel structures to play basketball. And, and, uh, uh, and of course, blacks were segregated, so they could not, you know, the black fives were having a glorious other kind of uh, uh, you know, social development through basketball. Read Black Fox. Um, um, wow. What a, uh, it's a premier history book, period. Um, but that was 130 years ago. Naismith used it to help people had no access to fields and, and cramped urban spaces uh, uh, demonstrate their belonging. 130 years later, Toronto, as a result of like three decades of a intentional, aggressive, multiculturalism, national policy, takes in more immigrants than any other place in the world. One out of every five Canadians right now is from somewhere else. Two out of every five is either from somewhere else or they have one parent who's from somewhere else. Where are they finding access? Where are they finding like belonging? Ice, <laughs> skates, very strange. Um, and they're coming from everywhere. They're coming from like uh, 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 the Middle East. They're coming from Eastern Europe. They're coming from the Caribbean. They're coming from Africa. They're coming from Asia, Philippines. I mean, it's, just, it's remarkable how many people coming to Canada. They have found it in basketball. And it's been a confluence of, yes, uh, the Vince Carter effect, and then uh, uh, a generation of parents who came from somewhere else saying, this is you know, what, what, what we're going to do. This is actually something we can touch and access. Canada, to me, is the nation right now that is using basketball as it was as Naismith, a Canadian, uh, <laughs> meant it to be a social institution to make their country uh, more cohesive. The emblem, of course, Nav Badia, uh, the first fan ever to be inducted to the Hall of Fame, a, a first gener uh, an immigrant, mm -hmm. turban wearing, mm -hmm. Sikh. Um, what goes on in Toronto and with basketball is one of the most remarkable social experiments that I believe is a model that could help Marseille, Malmo, Phoenix, all kinds of other cities figure out how to ingather and integrate and create belonging from people who come from somewhere else. Oh my God, you're spreading a religion. I didn't realize that what was happening here. Like, now I get it. It took me a while. It's a cult. Yep. It's a, it's a cult. A, well, you don't, we, don't, uh, we don't have to give you all of our worldly possessions, though, do we? Like, we can just go play. It's fine. As I note in the book, the, the only people who didn't drink, one of the only people who didn't drink the Kool-Aid in the Jim Jones cult. Mm-hmm were basketball players oh, no inside the cult. Way. Remarkable story. Yeah. See? See? One of them was Jones's son. Reverend wow. Jones. Jones. Yeah, they were the only people. He's like, okay, it's time to come back now uh, um, from your basketball game and drink this stuff. No, and they no, were like, no. Mm -hmm. no. Uh, no. How the do we explain players. that? Because they're, what? talk me through that. <laughs> like, how did this happen? Well, I am, I am, so it's, it's a, uh, so I, I discuss this in my chapter on the principal sanctuary. Mm -hmm. Again, another acute 21st century problem. Um, you, you and I, the three of us cannot go anywhere these days without being surveilled, without being counted, without being heard, listened to, um, um, you know, mediatized, algorithmatized. Um, and then it, and then spit back at us for all kinds of reasons that really aren't, uh, uh, things that we've either consented to or worse, 
they're limiting us. They're, 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 they're just constantly like crashing in on our peace. Um, we are losing the space of play. And I'm just talking for kids. I'm talking just as a, again, as a national value. The right to my own experience, the right to be left alone, the right to like, just like be and not be uh, <laughs> mediatized, um, you know, uh, uh, counted, um, mathematized. Because when the, the more the digital hive mind begins to kind of take over every single thing, not only does it limit like what play is really all about, which is the exploration of not all, all those analytics, all those things, that's yesterday. They're telling us what about yesterday, about what, who you were yesterday, who you were a minute ago. They have nothing to do with what we can be. What, what, what the, the, the pushing against the limits of yesterday of our humanity, which is what play is beautifully all about. It is a relief from the limits of the human condition. It is, uh, it, it's a, it's, it's allows us to demonstrate all the, the range of humanity, courage, heroism, grace under pressure, teamwork, cowardice, you know, all those things without the actual consequences of being a human being without heartbreak, hunger, um, you know, lack, death. So as we enter this kind of 21st century problem of all this like uh, uh, envelopment of digital life, where do we find the spaces just to be by ourselves, to be human, um, you know, without being kind of, uh, 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 um, you know, <laughs> harvested. Well, basketball was meant to be that kind of space. Naismith meant it to be pure play. He meant it to be a place where you could kind of have that experience. Um, and when people play, they tell me that's the experience they have when they play basketball. The world goes away. They feel a kind of hum of like them, their real selves, their true selves. Um, they're, they're... And so it's kind of like a cult when you live in a world that's controlled by all this kind of counting and, 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 and limiting and, and, and surveilling. And it's interesting to note that the way you break out of a cult is to find a space of sanctuary, find a place where you stop hearing all that noise, where you stop hearing where you're, where, where they're constantly kind of like pulling at you and updating and, 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 and you know, getting alerts and, 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 and getting an email and, and getting found and getting geolocated. When you find a space just to be, you start really hearing your real self what you're really capable of, who you really are. And those are the people who break out of cults. <laughs> so basketball is like a tool to get, give you your brain back. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Hmm. Well, that's pretty it stands for that. Yeah. It is, that is in a, a forum that, that in actuality creates that. Mm -hmm. um, and because in actuality creates that, I... Uh, stretch it and I say stands for that. Are you still playing? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I am. Listener, you may not have seen the thing he did with his eyebrows, which connoted to me that maybe he's not. <laughs> I'm I'm playing, man. I, the next time there's a court and I'm near it, I'm playing. I'm playing. Okay. I have to play. Um, well, you say, in the book, you say, I know I'm getting closer to not playing, which like set off some alarm bells for me that this is a, you know, this is, this is mortality, right? Like, yeah, it's, um, it's a big deal, right? It's, uh, it's, as I say in the book, yeah, it, um, playing all these beautiful things I'm talking about. Yeah. It's because when I play, I, it's my touchdown. It, it reminds me of who I really am. 
Um, I, you know, people don't believe this, uh, and it may kind of like uh, belie the technical foul record. Um, <laughs> but when I play pickup, I'm quiet. Mm. Um, I, and I think that's just because I'm in a zone of comfort. I'm in a zone of real balance. I'm, I'm just enjoying uh, me and you mm-hmm. and it. And I guess that is my truer self. You know, the rest of me is just like a crybaby. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm just like, ah, make the world a better place. Nah. You know, but when I'm actually like doing the thing, I'm okay. Cool. Lost in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, that was so fun. Thank you so much for talking us through your incredible book. Um, thank you for, uh, letting me go on and on. And, um, there it is. Uh, thank you, Gerard. Um, no problem. Uh, it's just a pleasure to talk to, um, to people who love the game, uh, so much and, uh, you know, get to talk about these things. Yeah. Let's do it again sometime. Um, the book is called how basketball can save the world. Um, that's David Hollander. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. My pleasure. Let's do it again tomorrow. Thank you.